Michael. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to look at uh, what John wrote all those years ago, we pray that uh, your spirit might speak to us this morning. Amen. Well, I wondered as I looked at this passage, um, what does it mean to be a member of God's kingdom? What's it mean actually to be a member of any kingdom? Well, recently, of course, in the last uh, uh, couple of years or so, we've heard a lot, haven't we, in the news about being a member of the United Kingdom, whether that be Scotland, whether that be Wales, whether that be England, or dare I say it, even the EU. What's it mean? Well, of course, it's important that we know what it means because being a member of any kingdom affects the lives of the people of that particular kingdom. So then, why then did John write his gospel and the passage that we've had read so well for us this morning? Well, we read that he wrote it so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. Look what it says in John 20, verse 30. John writes, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's why John wrote this gospel, and that's why we've got this passage in front of us this morning. And there are two people involved in this passage, aren't there? There's Nicodemus, and there is Jesus. But the question, of course, for us this morning is, who was Nicodemus? Who was Nicodemus? Well, we read in John's gospel that he was obviously a clever man, He was a teacher, he was a religious leader, he held an important position in the ruling council of the Jewish nation. It's likely that he was rich and it's likely that he held a high position within their society. And as an orthodox Jewish ruler, he would have been looking forward to and expecting the fulfillment of the prophecies that are written in their Torah, their sacred texts. And these prophecies were concerning the coming of a Messiah, a figure, a leader, who would combine politics with military and religious roles. And this Messiah would overthrow the Roman Empire. Or that's what they were hoping for. That's what they expected. That's what they wanted. And this Messiah would establish and run the free state of Israel, a kingdom of the Jews. Well, what else do we know about this man, Nicodemus? Well, we know that he'd seen the actions of Jesus... He'd heard him speaking. And he recognized that a man who was able to heal people, a man who was able to carry out miracles, that is, things that are not of normal reality, then this man must have had some interaction with God. We read that in verse 2 of our passage this morning. 
And this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night. We don't know, of course, exactly why he came at night. It may have been, of course, because he was a very busy man and he had no other time during the day. Or it may be because he thought, well, his reputation was at risk if he was to be seen talking with Jesus. And so we have the man Nicodemus making a statement about Jesus, a man who had some interaction with God. But the second man in our passage this morning is Jesus, the man who'd been teaching and performing miracles in the area where Nicodemus lived. Now, what I find interesting about this passage this morning is that Jesus doesn't actually make any comment about Nicodemus' statement concerning who he is. But rather, Jesus goes straight to the point concerning this expectation of the Jews concerning a Messiah and a human kingdom. Because Jesus recognizes there are kingdom issues at stake here. But the kingdom isn't the kingdom of the Jews. It's not a physical and political entity as they would have understood it. No, Jesus points straight to the fact that the important kingdom is the kingdom of God. And it's a spiritual entity as well as a physical entity. And we see this in verse 5 of our passage. So the question is then, how can people enter this spiritual kingdom? Well, Jesus states that you must be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, in our passage this morning, I think Jesus uh, deals with three aspects concerning this spiritual kingdom. He deals with three aspects. Firstly, how can anyone become a member of this spiritual kingdom? How can anyone become a member or become a part of this kingdom? Secondly, why would God want to establish this kingdom in the first place? And then thirdly, what are the results of the establishment of this kingdom? So let's have a look at these three each in turn. So let's start by looking at how can anyone become a member or a part of this kingdom? Remember, for the Jewish people to be a part of their kingdom, they expected that the people had to be born of Abraham, they had to be descendants of Abraham, so their kingdom was based upon racial lines. Well, in contrast, Jesus states in verse 3, a person must be born again. That means they must be completely reborn, completely new start to their lives. He goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, yes, you must be born of the water, so there's a physical change, but you must also be, uh, it must also be a spiritual change within their hearts, minds, and souls. Now, to illustrate this, Jesus uses the image that they would understand of the wind. Now, with the wind, of course, is we don't see the wind. I used to teach geography at school, and, and no child could ever tell me what the wind looked like. Yes, they could tell me what the effect of the wind is. We see the trees swaying. If it's a terrible wind, we see mass destruction. We can see the effect of the wind, but we can't actually see the wind itself. 
And so it is, Jesus is saying, with the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the results of the Holy Spirit's actions within human lives when there's belief in Jesus and when people have accepted his lordship. And this is a critical thing because belief is the critical thing in this process of becoming a member of God's kingdom. Look at verse 15. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And in verse 18 of our passage, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now this was completely revolutionary teaching by Jesus for the Jewish people. Because remember, the Jewish people would have expected only God's people to be a part of his kingdom. But no, what Jesus is saying here is that this kingdom is open to all. Note there's no mention here of, for instance, strictly keeping the Ten Commandments as a way of entering the kingdom. There's nothing said here about keeping strict religious activities that the Jewish religious leaders would have taught. No, it's all about belief and change, being born of the water and of the Spirit, believing in God's only Son. So then, how can a person become a member of the kingdom? By belief that Jesus died for them on the cross and believing that he was God's son sent to take the price of our sin. But secondly, why would God want to establish this kingdom here on earth? Well, the answer to this is given in that memory verse in verse 16. Jesus previously had said to the the people listening there that he'd been with the Father in heaven, verse 13, so he's able to tell them what God wanted in this aspect. And so we see in verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world. The reason God wanted to establish his kingdom was that he loved the world so much. Now, of course, that means not only the physical world, but for each and every person who lives on the world. But again, we can rejoice, can't we, that it's not just for the Jewish people. No, it's inclusive. It's for all people. Note also in verse 17, uh, John writes, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God provided a way for people to come into this kingdom to be able to walk with God, speak with God, have a relationship with them. And so, in this action, God is providing a way for the separated people to come back into relationship with him. And he says this through the reference we're given in verse 14, where he says... Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now that's a rather strange statement to make if you don't understand the story behind it. The story is this, that uh, the people of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they were crossing the desert, 
and uh, they disobeyed God. And as a punishment, God sent snakes to bite them, which led to their death. And so God, when Moses uh, uh, came to them, God said, make an image of a serpent, and then who looks on that will be healed. We read of that in Numbers chapter 21, verse 8. And that's the reference, and then to the cross of Jesus being there for our salvation. So that's who can become Members, that's why. Then thirdly, what are the results of the establishment of this kingdom here on earth? Well, Jesus teaches in this passage that there will be two groups of people emerging from this situation of the kingdom being established here on earth. We see this in, uh, in verse 16. Verse 16 says that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is, those that believe in Jesus, God's Son, and are reborn through the work of the Holy Spirit, they will not perish, but they receive, will receive eternal life. Now, it begs the question, of course, what does eternal life actually mean? Well, it means having life to the full now, but also forever with God in his presence, what the Bible calls heaven. And this is expanded in verse 18 by saying that they won't be condemned for their lives' actions. They they will become people of light. Look what it says in verse 21. Whoever lives by the truth, that is the belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus, will come into the light so that their actions and lives will witness to the truth of God's gift of Jesus and his death on the cross for them. Now, this is a challenge for all of us, isn't it, who believe in Jesus and follow him. Do our lives show the light of this love of God who has prepared to give his son for us on the cross, taking the punishment for our sinful, wrongful actions? So that's the first group, those that believe in him and shall not, won't perish. But the second group of people is those that won't believe and won't accept the need for being reborn. Look in verse 18. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Dreadful thing, really, isn't it, when you look at it? And we may well ask ourselves, well, why would people not believe? Well, Jesus gives us the answer to this in verse 19. He says this, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And so this group of people, this second group of people, will not spend eternity with God in a place where there's light and love. Now, they will be in a place where there's no light and no love. And so it begs the question for each one of us this morning, which of those two groups are we in? Which of those two groups do we fall in? Are we in that group that accept Jesus as God's son, who died to take the punishment for our wrong actions? Or are we members of the group that don't believe in Jesus and accept his death 
as a punishment for our wrongdoing. Remember, Jesus states that the effects, the results of this will be dramatic. Eternal life with him or eternal life without him. Now, this is quite difficult to understand and to follow in that passage. And so we thought it would be good if we could uh, sum this all up by looking at a short video clip that will help to explain this perhaps a little bit more easily. It's dramatic stuff. And if, as a result of that, you'd like to speak to Catherine or myself at the end of the service or have prayer, please feel free to find us after the service.